text this morning is taken from Acts 2, verse 39. Peter has just called people to repent and be baptized uh, and promise the blessings of salvation, the forgiveness of sins, and the gift of the Spirit to all those who have faith in Christ. And our text reads, For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, today we rejoice with Travis and Jason Tote at the baptism of their son, Hayden Lawrence. And next week, the Lord willing, we will celebrate the baptism of Dale and Kristen's son, Eli John. And so it's appropriate for us to consider our practice of baptizing the children of believers. Why do we do that? What is the purpose of sprinkling some water on Hayden or Eli's forehead? What does this represent? For some, baptism is little more than a custom or tradition. They have their children baptized because their parents did the same to them when they were young. Some are actually opposed to baptizing children They think that baptism is a confirmation of a person's faith and that as a result believe that only adults who have made a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ should be baptized. Baptism is one of the sacraments of the Christian church. The sacraments are holy, visible signs and pledges of God's promises. They were instituted by the Lord Jesus Christ during his earthly ministry. Through them, God gives us a picture of his grace. The symbolism of baptism is not hard to understand. In baptism, water is used as a symbol of washing. You can administer baptism either by immersion or by sprinkling with water. Just like you can take a bath by lowering yourself into the water or a shower by being sprinkled with it. The effect of washing by water is the same either way. You're washed clean. Thus baptism is a symbol of how God washes us clean through Christ's blood and spirit. To understand what happens at baptism requires us to know that we are sinful people. After hearing the Ten Commandments this morning, we sang about that from one of David's songs. David pleaded for God's mercy. He asked for God in infinite compassion to blot out his sins and to remove all his transgressions. Sins are all the wrong things that we think and say and do. All the things that grieve God. All the things that hurt our neighbor. Sins can be forgiven if we repent of them. If we ask God to forgive us for Christ's sake. Baptism is God's promise 
He will grant us the forgiveness of sins and everlasting life because Jesus has died on the cross for our sake. I preach to you the good news of salvation under the following theme. The children of believers are baptized because they share in God's promises. We'll see how children share in God's promises, how baptism is a sign of their inclusion, and how they are called to repent and believe. Today, we in the West are living in a very individualistic society. Our society teaches us to stand up for ourselves and to make the most of our lives. It teaches that life is all about me, myself, and I. That I have the right to do whatever makes me happy. This has had an adverse effect on families. The family unit is disintegrating in our culture. In Canada today, 28% of all households consist of only one person. This is up from 7% in 1951. It's at the highest rate ever since Confederation. While there are many reasons why someone might live alone, the sheer number of people doing so reflects something of our societal attitudes. This is very different from anything experienced before in human history. The norm has always been for people to be part of a family unit. Many cultures from around the world simply do not understand how we as Westerners tick. In many cultures, people live in multi-generational households. Family is everything to them. Parents make big sacrifices to make a better life for their children. At times, immigrating to a new country to live. Or making big sacrifices to send them to post-secondary education. Children respect and care for their parents. They honor them by providing for them in their old age. So why am I making a big deal about this? Well, it's because it's hard to understand the baptism of our children if you do not understand the importance of family. We read together this morning from Genesis 17. It describes in some detail the covenant that the Lord made with Abraham the father of all believers. When the Lord originally called Abraham, his family served other gods. They were heathens, living in the midst of a pagan society. Abraham was not in any way worthy of God's attention or love. Yet God, in his grace, called Abraham, and he established a covenant with him. A covenant is an agreement. Today we would use the word contract or deal. When two parties enter into a covenant, they establish some kind of relationship together. God is the one who initiated the covenant of grace. God and Abraham are not equal parties. 
God promises his grace and blessings to Abraham. And Abraham shows his willingness to partake in the covenant by obeying God's commands. In the covenant of grace, God told Abraham, I will be your God, and you may be my child. With that, God promises to make Abraham into a great nation and to grant him the land of Canaan as his inheritance. Abraham is called to believe God's promises, to trust in him for everything he needs. It's important for us to recognize with whom the Lord established the covenant. It was not just with Abraham as an individual. It was with him and his household, and with all those who would be born to him. In Genesis 17, verse 7, the Lord says, And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your offspring after you. So also Abraham's offspring were included in the covenant of grace. The Lord promised to be their God. Even though they were not yet born, God promised to give them the land of Canaan as their own possession. He promised that through Abraham, all the families of the earth would be blessed. This was a promise that the coming Messiah would be from Abraham's line. In order to testify to Abraham and his offspring that this promise was sure, God gave them circumcision as a sign of the covenant. He commanded that Abraham and his descendants, as well as all those born in his house or bought with his money, had to be circumcised. The flesh of the foreskin of every male had to be cut away to show that they were part of God's covenant people. God commanded that anyone who was not circumcised was to be cut off from his people. For such a person would be guilty of, pro of profaning, of breaking his covenant. So we see that circumcision was a sign of the covenant. Those who had the flesh of their foreskin cut away had the mark of God on them. Their circumcision signified they belonged to God. It signified that all God's promises were for them. They could depend on God's promises being valid for their lives. They could rely on the Lord to fulfill his word to them. He would certainly care for them and provide them with all they needed. He would grant his rich blessing on their lives. The result was that God's people in the Old Covenant had the assurance God's promises were valid for them and for their children. They could trust that their children and grandchildren were actually God's children. God showed forth his steadfast love and mercy on his people from one generation to the next. When they strayed, he called them back. When their enemies defeated them, he rescued them. God was faithful to the promises he made to Abraham. He never gave up on his people. 
He ensured that even in times when they rebelled against him, a remnant was preserved. In that way, the line to the Messiah was maintained. For ultimately, it was through him that God would provide redemption for his people. Now, beloved, please consider what happens in our text from Acts 2. In the first part of Acts 2, Peter explains how the Holy Spirit has been poured out on the church. He makes it clear that this is in fulfillment of what some of the prophets had foretold. It does not take Peter long to connect the coming of the Spirit with the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter testifies that Jesus was crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But he tells the crowds that God raised him up. He says, and of this we are all witnesses. Jesus had gone up into heaven. And now he had poured out the Holy Spirit on the church. And then Peter gets to the point of his sermon on Pentecost Day. He says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter makes it clear that Jesus was not some crackpot. He is Israel's long-awaited Messiah. God had promised Abraham that one of his offspring would cause all nations to be blessed. He had promised King David that a descendant of his would sit on the throne forevermore. Jesus Christ was that man, the Savior whom God promised to his people, the one who would redeem them from their sins. Now, this was a very upsetting message for the crowds gathered on the day of Pentecost. Seven weeks earlier, many of them had joined in with the Jewish religious leaders, crying out for Pilate, the Roman governor, to crucify Jesus. Pilate had taken a large bowl of water. He washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people had answered, His blood be upon us, and our children. They took full responsibility for having Christ crucified and put to death. And so in Acts 2, we see that these people are cut to the heart. They were horrified by the atrocity that they had committed and for calling God's wrath not only on themselves, but also on their children. They had thought that Jesus was some kind of pretender, that he deserved to be killed because of his claim to be the Messiah. But now it turns out that they had crucified the King of glory. Brokenhearted, they cried out to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Was there any way back after committing such a terrible sin? Any possibility of forgiveness or redemption? Peter responds, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. First, they had to repent. Repent. 
Repentance is not easy. It requires you to admit that you have done wrong, that you have sinned. It requires you to swallow your pride, to admit you're not quite the perfect person you sometimes think you are. Repentance involves feeling sorrow that we have offended God with all our sins. To repent, you also need to believe in Jesus Christ. Repentance involves more than just turning away from sin. It requires a turning to God, to seek forgiveness in the blood of Jesus Christ. It's only those who repent and believe who can be baptized and share in the promises of God. Beloved, there's a call here for each one of us gathered together this morning to repent of our sins, to believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. For when we do so, we're allowed to share in all the promises of God, in the forgiveness of sins, in the gift of the Spirit. Please note, beloved, to whom God's promises are given. After calling the crowds to repent and believe, Peter says, For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God will call to himself. Note that God's promises are not just for individuals. Just like God gave his promises to Abraham and his offspring in the Old Covenant, so now he gives his promises to believers and their children. God works through families. One of the primary ways in which he gathers his church is through the generations. His promises are not just for adults, but also for children even for little babies, like Hayden. Now in Acts 2, verse 39, Peter makes it clear that God's work of gathering believers in his church is not just through families. He also says that his promise is to all those who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God will call to himself. We see the church has a missional task. We're called to share the gospel with those in our communities around us and with people living in darkness in different countries throughout the world. God wants many people to share in the blessings of salvation. We need to tell people about how Jesus came to save sinners. We need to call them to repent and believe in Jesus Christ, that they too may share in the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Yeah, the point I want to make abundantly clear this morning is that children have an important place in God's kingdom and in Christ's church. Psalm 127 verse 4 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. In our society, many people focus on themselves on making enough money so they can live comfortable lives. Children are often seen as a nuisance, a bother, a cost. 
The Bible teaches us differently. It says that children are a gift, a blessing, a reward from God's hand. God loves the little children. Ultimately, our children belong to him. The Bible makes it clear that children share in all the promises God has made to us. This brings us to our second point, how baptism is a sign of their inclusion. In the Bible, God has given different signs to his people to make clear his promises to them. He gave Noah and his family the rainbow in the sky. It was a testimony to them from God of his promise never to destroy the world by means of a flood again. Similarly, when the Lord made promises to Abraham about being his God and caring for him and giving him the promised land, these promises were accompanied by the sign of circumcision. In each new generation, baby boys were circumcised on the eighth day, a sign of their inclusion in God's promises. It's the same thing with baptism. Baptism was instituted by the Lord Jesus Christ before he ascended into heaven. He commanded the apostles to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all he had commanded them. When an adult comes to faith, he or she is baptized to show that God's promises are for him or for her. When children are born to those who have faith in Jesus Christ, they present them for baptism so that also these children may share in God's promises. Not all Christians agree with the practice of baptizing little children. Some say that you need to repent and believe before you can be baptized. That baptism is a sign of a person's faith. There is a basic problem with this perspective. In the Bible, signs are always symbols that God gives to assure us of his promises. The direction of these signs is always from heaven to earth, from God to his people. And so it doesn't make sense to say baptism is all about our faith, about our response to God. We see that more clearly when we remember what baptism symbolizes. Baptism symbolizes the washing away of our sins. When a person is baptized, he or she is immersed in or immersed in water or sprinkled with it. The sign of baptism is water washing away dirt from the body. It's a picture of what God does spiritually for his people. In baptism, God is promising to wash away all our sins through the blood of Jesus Christ offered on the cross. On the basis of Christ's atoning work, God is promising to be our Father, to care for us, to provide all our needs. And the Spirit is promising to live in us, to allow us to share in all Christ's blessings. 
We're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to remind us of the glorious promises our triune God is making to us. Please remember our text. In it, Peter says, the promise is for you and your children. This was written to a community that was very family-oriented. One of the greatest blessings in ancient Israel was to receive children. Up until that time, every Jewish family practiced circumcision as a symbol of their children's inclusion in God's covenant promises. In Colossians 2, the Apostle Paul makes it clear, baptism has replaced circumcision as a sign of the covenant between God and his people. So Peter makes it clear God's promises are not just for adults, but also for children. When you read through Acts, you see there are four specific instances when someone is baptized along with their household. We read of Cornelius, of Lydia, of the Philippian jailer, and of Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue in Corinth. They were all baptized along with their household or their family. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 16, Paul mentions that he also baptized the household of Stephanus. In New Testament times, a person's household included a man, his wife and children, if he had them, as well as any servants that he owned. We cannot definitively prove that these households had children, but it's difficult to believe that none of them had any. The point is, God has given his promises to believers and their children. And these promises are symbolized by baptism. That's why we baptize children, even though they cannot yet understand what God is saying to them. This brings us to our final point. How they, children, are called to repent and believe. Some people believe that baptism changes something in the child being baptized. That a child being presented for baptism leaves church in a different state than he was in when he came. That God does something spiritually to change them inside. Yeah, beloved, that's a misunderstanding of the sacrament of baptism. Remember, baptism is a sign of God's promises. When a baby is being baptized, God is putting his mark or emblem on his or her forehead. He is saying in a graphic way, you are mine, and all my promises are yours. Now, none of us who are baptized as infants will remember our own baptism. Yet families take pictures, and parents will share these with their children. As a church community, we are reminded of our own baptism each time when we see someone else being baptized. These are prime occasions for parents to talk to their children. Kids will ask, 
Why is the minister putting water on that baby's head? And we can tell them, the minister did that to you too. It's a picture of God's promise to wash you clean from all your sins. And beloved, you know what? Kids get it. They understand. With a childlike faith, they believe that God has promised to wash away all their sins. They see how much it cost God to do this. Our kids learn about the cross, but how Jesus paid the price for our sins. They believe that out of his great love for us, God gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. In many evangelical churches today, children are in some kind of no man's land. Since their parents belong to the church, these children are encouraged to come and take part in the church's programs. But these children don't share in God and his promises. Not until they believe can they be baptized. Till then, they don't really belong. But for our children, this is very different. Baptism is God's own sign and seal. They belong to his covenant and congregation. It's as if God himself speaks from heaven saying, I am the Lord your God, and you are my child. Through baptism, God grants us the assurance of his grace. And children sense this. They feel like they belong. Such a treasure in our increasingly fragmented society. Children have an important place in God's heart. They're part of God's people. They share in all his promises. Yet one question remains. To those who repented and believed in Jesus Christ, our text says, the promise is for you and your children. God promises salvation. He promises the forgiveness of sins and eternal life to believers and their children. But will all children share in the blessings of salvation? Our experience shows us that not all children believe in God. Some forsake God. They leave the church. So how are we to understand that? We need to remember God has established a relationship with us and our children. The Bible refers to that relationship as a covenant. It's an agreement between God and us. It comes with terms and conditions. In the covenant, God promises he will be our God, that we may be his people. God promises us salvation in Christ and a host of blessings in him. Yet to receive these blessings, God calls us to repentance and faith. He wants us to acknowledge our need for a savior, to believe in Jesus Christ, 
that he died for our sins, that he rose again to grant us new life in him. Although our children are baptized, they do not get a free pass into heaven. As they grow up, we as parents have the responsibility to teach them about the Lord and about all the great things that he has done for us. And as our children grow up, they are called to believe God's promises, to make them their own. They're called to respond to God's love and faithfulness by devoting their hearts and their lives to God's service. Our children are called to love the Lord as he first loved them. This does not take away from the blessing of their baptism. From as early as they can remember, our children are taught that they belong to God, that God loves them. They are taught that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins. They are taught that the Holy Spirit has promised to live in them, to allow them to share in the blessings of salvation. Baptism teaches our children they share in God's rich promises. It also calls them to believe these promises and to live out of them. Baptism is a sign and pledge of the covenant God made with believers and their children. Amen.